Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So much fun to be here this morning uh, for Merle and I. And um, it's, I think it's always a test of a visitor to, um, to, get, to give you feedback. And my feedback to you is keeping the church that you are, because clearly you're bringing people in and people are finding their Christian home here. Um, and so keep doing that, because what you're doing is honouring God and bringing people to you. Um, now, what is Engage Work Faith? Well, let me just pull this up here. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I always have a little bit of a throat when I start speaking, so I haven't got COVID. It's just a bit of nervousness at the start. Um, what is Engage Work Faith trying to do? Well, what we're trying to do is with people in the workforce, we're trying to get them to see that they can carry the good news of Jesus into that place and do that in an integrated way as part of their life. And the reason we do that is because we believe that Jesus transforms all of life, including your work life and the people that you spend time with. So we want people in South Australia to find out about Jesus through Christians in their workplace. Did you know that when you go through the Bible, you can count up 5,433 different occupations that people have in the Bible. And uh, on top of that, you actually see how God uses all all those different occupations to bring about his plans and purposes for his world. So if you think about David, um, you know, he he begins his life as a shepherd. He takes those shepherding skills into looking after God's people. Um, You take someone like Daniel and he becomes uh, quite a high up bureaucrat within a foreign empire and is able to influence that place as well. So work is absolutely central to God's purposes and that's why Engage Work Faith exists. Um, So that's our our, uh, vision and our hope with what we're doing. Now, the logo is really saying, how can we get people to bring their faith to the world of their work and integrate the two things together? And the way that you can do that, I think, is just simply by praying for your work. We um, try and train up an army of praying Christians um, who see their work as a mission field. If you go to Matthew 9, um, Jesus looks out at the people and he describes them as a harvest that's ripe, uh, ready to pick. And he doesn't turn around and say, oh, everybody needs to redouble their efforts. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll raise up more workers. So we actually have over 21, what we call two or more groups spread out around uh, South Australia, regional uh, Adelaide. And those groups of people pray for their work on a fortnightly or every three week basis. And they come from every different industry and they meet at different times and in different places uh, around wider Adelaide. And they really echo the principle that you'll find in Colossians 4 Uh, by Paul when he virtually says to the Colossians, talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. So that's been the engine room of Engage Work Faith. Get people to talk to God about the people around them before they try and talk 
to people about God. Now, you guys, uh, some of you are involved in that uh, as a whole church. You're partnering with us, which is very exciting. But you actually can get involved in one of those prayer groups if you want to or start one. And they certainly don't have to be in the city uh, for them to work. Um, we do events, and you can see one of those, oh, if we just slip along, there's, there's an event that we ran last year on artificial intelligence at Lot 14. And uh, we had a couple of Christians in there, in the mix, and uh, a, a non-Christian guy as well, a young up-and-coming in that space. And we discussed for the night, how does artificial intelligence and God work together? Not from a Christian point of view, but from... Uh, people who aren't yet Christians trying to understand could God be interested in this and what does he have to say and how can he inform us about humanity and what we are as people. It was a fantastic night. Half the room was filled with non-Christians and uh, that changes the whole dynamic of the discussion when you know that the room is like that and the questions that come out of it. So you may want to bring your friends to things like that that we put on throughout the year um, on all sorts of different topics. I think the most critical thing, though, is young uh, people in the workforce. So if you have, have a, this is a small group that meet together, but basically they're a group of Christians who are trying to find their feet in the workplace. And uh, it's a hard role when you hit the workforce. I was just talking to someone before about moving out into the workforce from um, university and from study, and it's a hard time because you get... You, you have your ideas shaped on, on how you handle money, how you handle authority, what you're going to do with your workload, um, the pressures that are on you all of a sudden, dealing with people of different ages. It's, it's a whole new ballgame. And so we put a priority on trying to help young workers uh, adjust to that place. The way we try and do that is to get them to meet with each other um, and, and talk about the common things that they find difficult. And the other thing that we do is try and link them up with older, wiser mentors in their fields. So if you've uh, got a question about work or you, you're wondering, you know, I wonder whether what, I, what God would think about this or how I could handle this with my friends, we also have a website, which is the next slide. If you go to our homepage and you look up our online library, we've got over 180 different articles, podcasts, interviews, book reviews, uh, all connected with work, a fantastic search engine, so you can find out anything. I typed in uh, office romance the other day, and we actually do have something on that subject. So um, you'll find something there, hopefully, to help you in your work, whatever that work is. You can sign up to our monthly newsletter, and I have a rule that it has to be helpful to people, and it can't just be full of our news. It's got, got to actually have things that will help you in your work and in doing your work. So um, you can sign up to that over on the uh, welcome desk at the end. There's a little QR code there, like the one uh, for signing up here. Um, and it'll tell you, we'll tell you what things are going on uh, around the place for the rest of the year. Uh, the last thing is there's a, there's a dinner we're putting on, and this is not the sermon, so please, please don't think this is <laughs> the message today. This is just a short uh, info about it. But there... We do a dinner once a year called a foundation dinner, and um, it's a great night to meet Christians from all over South Australia and to find people in different industries and occupations around uh, the state as well. And we run that on uh, Friday, August the 5th. 
There's lots of inspiring stories. You get to hear how people are actually trying to bring their faith to bear on their work. And we're going to be launching a new tool, a new approach really, called Engaging with Ease, which we've been working on for the last two years. And it's basically trying to help you to share your faith in, you know, comfortable in your own shoes, your own skin, with your own personality that God's given you, not trying to remember an outline every few minutes to say to somebody, but actually trying to share your faith in the most natural way and being able to flex to the people that you're talking to. So we'll be launching that on the night. If you want to bring a half table or a table along uh, from Hills, it'd be great to see you there. Uh, and we'd love to get to know you better from that. Okay, shameless advertising over. Let's look at God's view on work. So we're going to do a quick tour around the Bible this morning. But what I want to start with is to give you some quotes about work and get you to see which one you resonate with. So the first one here, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. That was Martin Luther um, during the Reformation. Or this one uh, from 2 Thessalonians, the one who is unwilling to eat shall not... Uh, sorry, the one who is unwilling to work... Unwilling to work shall not eat, which is, was often said in our house. Um, try not to become a person of success, but rather try to become a person of value. Albert Einstein. Or all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 14. Or this one from Simon Sinek: Working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. So I wonder how you've been shaped and influenced and which of these quotes you tend to gravitate to. Our take on work is highly personal and has been built up unconsciously by our experiences and by our family and by our work cultures that we've been part of. So for me, I grew up in a working class family and our family never shied away from manual labour. And it was the same on the weekends. Both parents had demanding jobs, but they came home on the weekends and around the house, they would sweep, clean, paint, cook, fix up, clean gutters. And so to stop and rest in our family was like saying you were dying. You could never have an afternoon nap on a Sunday afternoon or sit down and read a book. You'd have to be dying if you're in that state. So who has shaped your view of work? I mean, where do you get your idea of what it means to have a good work ethic from? It might be parents, it might be a very influential teacher, it might be the first job that you worked in and the boss you had. But whatever it is, it shaped you. And Daniel Doriani, in his book called Work, Its Purpose, Dignity and Transformation, supplies a great definition uh, from David Miller. And this is the def definition. Work is not merely about making a living while avoiding sin. It's about extending the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. So your approach to work is shaped by something. So that's why we're going to have a look this morning about God's take on work. Because you've probably heard everybody else's. So why not look at God's for a moment and see whether it might change this week for you. Or... Maybe it might help you 
when you're talking to other people who are wrestling with their take on work and why they're doing it. So to do that, you have to start at the end. And the end in the Bible is rest. Um, that picture is not dissimilar to what most people in life are trying to hang out for and look for throughout their lives. Human beings striving throughout their work life to rest. I had a friend, a neighbour, who um, came into some money after his father-in-law died and he bought a house, a little cottage, on the York Peninsula. And his dream was every Friday night to pack the car, the fishing rods, the dog and his wife and head off to the York Peninsula for what he called was his paradise. Now, the sad thing was that only, he only seemed to have nailed this when they discovered that his wife had an aggressive form of cancer. And she died within six months and the house, the cottage, was sold within 12. You see, God's picture of rest far exceeds anything that we can come up with and anything we try and grasp for. We settle for far less and it, it always falls far short of our expectations. C.S. Lewis uh, once said this, we are like children who are content to make mud pies in the backyard when we've been offered a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. That great longing inside of you to retire at Victor Harbour or sail the Great Barrier Reef or live off the grid with your own organic produce while everyone else is in the bullpen, that is only an echo of what God has put inside you for paradise. But it's shriveled up and it won't sustain you and it won't deliver. So, how does it not deliver? Well, you need to go back now to the beginning from rest to see how God set up work. And in the opening book of the Bible, we meet God the worker. 35 times in that first chapter, God is working and creating a world. And in chapter 2, it says, and you'll see on the screen there, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, I want you to reflect on this for a moment because this is radical. This is radical. Most of the other creation stories in the ancient world portrayed the gods lolling around on their chaise lounges, getting human beings to do the hard work. But here we have God doing manual work for us. Um, there's an ancient Babylonian story called the Enumina Elis, and basically there's, an, there's essentially a war takes place between the gods and the world is created as a sort of a bit of a process of that. And the ongoing job of keeping the world going was too much for the gods, so they set up human beings and created them as a sort of like a slavery force uh, to, to do that for them, because work was beneath them. If you go to the Greek uh, mythologies, you've probably heard of the phrase of opening a Pandora's box, this next slide. 
You've heard that phrase before. Well, it comes from a story where Zeus gives Pandora a box and he says, you can have it on one condition, you're not to open it. Of course, what does she do? She does what she's not supposed to do. And what comes out? Death, decay, and guess what else? Work. <laughs> Work is associated with death in Greek mythology. And the ancient world are not the only ones who think that death is a, uh, that, that work is a curse. Just go to 2022 and go to the recent Gallup poll survey of worldwide of workers, and 15% worldwide think that their job is something that they love. 15% of the surveyed people around the world, not just America, but around the world, love their job. The other 85% are anything from disengaged to hating it. Genesis flies in the face of what many of us think about work. Genesis says that God makes us from the earth, that he then goes and creates a garden where he gets dirt under his fingernails and he digs and he plants and he gets his hands dirty. And it's good. It's good. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that work has a dignity. Even the most manual things that you have to do in your life are part of God's plan and purposes. And please note, nothing in those opening two chapters talks about payment for it. As his image bearers, God creates us to work and cultivate and keep and steward and fill, and so work can be a blessing. And you think about the paramedic who picks you up from a car trauma and knows exactly what to do in that situation. Thank heavens that they do their work. Think about the person who, or the group who goes in to a company that, that's gone bust, a group of auditors, and tries to bring order out of that chaos. Work is a good thing, and when we work, whether we're paid or not for it, we, we're stewarding this creation, we're collaborating with God, we're reflecting somehow our creator. But that's half the story, isn't it? You know that's half the story. Because you go to Genesis 3 and you realise that work gets a great big bullet through it. After the first human beings disobey by eating from the one tree they're told not to, you see this curse uh, in chapter 3, it records the impact on work. It says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. You'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, dust you will return. Something really significant here. Five times in three sentences, eating is mentioned. Eating is the way that sin enters human life. And now the punishment is in the eating. You know, the, the punishment is in trying to put that food on the table. Day after day, week after week, year after year. What was once provided for is now secured through sweat and toil and struggle. And the frustration of doing that every day is something that each of us feel. 
Think about it. At every level, in every part of this world, just as you get something right, another thing goes wrong that you have to fix. Everything from computer programs to your guttering. You know, um, in the middle of the pandemic, our phone line went dead, which supported the internet, which for this little bunny working out of his home for a ministry that didn't have a face Sunday by Sunday was quite a nightmare. So I, I rang up and secured a technician from my, you know, the call center, and he came along and he told me that the line was damaged under the, under the tree roots outside our house. And that given it was only supporting one house in the street, ours, uh, they wouldn't be replacing it any time soon because, and this is where he got really cheery, he said, the MBN is coming to you. <laughs> and then he got into his car and left. So then I went inside and rang the MBN hotline and they were really frustrated because they said, we're not connecting you and for three months. In fact, we're due to connect you on the 31st of December. I thought, happy new year. <laughs> So then I went back to my provider and rang them again. And by this time, I was deliriously singing along with their call centre music because I knew it so well. And finally, two days later, they sent out another technician and he came and he fixed the line. And he was really, really annoyed with the previous technician because he said, on the weekends, those guys are contracted and they get paid for how many jobs they turn up to, not how many they fix. So, do you, do you have a bit of frustration with your work? I bet you have. I bet you have. The writer of Ecclesiastes captures this frustration for us of the thorns and thistles. Have a look at this. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me, and who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool, yet he'll have control over all the work into which I've poured my effort and my skill under the sun. You work hard, and sometimes you see all those efforts go down the drain, don't you? You think about cleaning for a minute. You wipe the benches, you dust the furniture, you clean all that grime off the shower recess, you vacuum the carpet, you wash the stains off the clothes. A lifetime of removing dirt, only to end up covered by six feet of it. Isn't that an irony? <laughs> See, work is a struggle. So no wonder you move to one of two extremes. Either you say, I'm just going to be a work alcoholic, I'm just going to, I'm going to get on top of this, I'm going to work my butt off through my life to try and get there. Or you say, I can't get on top of it, I can't do this, I'm just going to, you know, check out and avoid it wherever I can. Overwork, underwork, which one? What's your frustration, frustrating response to work? Because it will be one or the other points. So in summary, what has God said? He said, work is good. We're designed to work, but work is also painful and frustrating because we're dislocated from God. 
So that's why a person made redundant can't cope with the thought of not having their job and then you meet up with them two months later and they've landed their dream job and now they're squealing about their workload all over again. See, that, what is God going to do with this sort of love-hate relationship that we have with work? Well, he's going to send Jesus into our world to work. What was Jesus' work? Well, you know, he was a carpenter for many years, but listen to Jesus' words about his work. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working, John 5. What's the background to this? Well, Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath, and he's, got a lot of, he's copped a lot of criticism for it. But you know what the Sabbath day is? It's the rest day. What happens on the rest day? It's supposed to be a day to sort of restore and get back to where you can go and do it again. So what does Jesus do? He heals and restores and recreates an invalid impacted by the fall on the Sabbath. And he talks about that being his work. Jesus' goal in his journey to this world is to get us back to paradise, to a position of rest. So he works He works and works to purchase us back to a creator from whom we're now estranged. That gives you rest, my friends. Jesus says at another point, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. What makes me think Jesus dying on the cross was finishing his work? Yeah, he said it. Final words on the cross, it is finished. He's not just talking about the punishment and the suffering and the execution. He's talking about the whole grand task of reversing the fall of creation at this point. And that's why when you go to a a Bible college and you look down the shelves in a Bible college library, you'll see there's a whole section there called the work of Christ. If you think your job is hard, This was the ultimate work done by Jesus to secure the ultimate rest for humanity. How do you know if it worked? It would have to start reversing the effects of the fall. And if there's anything that makes a mockery of your work, it's death. Jesus' resurrection tackles that head on. It's more than just, you know, a little party trick. It is the surest sign that what Christ did, what he worked at, actually was successful. It was the forerunner of many resurrections to come. You know, as the mob was closing in on Jesus the night before he died, he got the disciples together and he said this to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, also in me, in my father's house and many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Think about it in life when you go to an Airbnb and you turn up and, um, you know, there's a little thing of homemade soup there for you or the fire's all set up just for you to put the match on. What does that say? It says that they've prepared for you It says that somehow, even though they don't know you, they're invested in you and value you. This is what Jesus is saying the night before he dies. 
of all the pictures you could paint to try and describe to someone what heaven is like, the best one is rest. It's what's lost at the fall and what eludes us ever since. And it's what Jesus holds out to weary workers. What does he say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you another job. <laughs> Rest. It's the great longing inside human beings. If you don't believe me, just take a look at that person who's softly singing to themselves and nothing's a problem to them because they're going on three weeks holiday at the end of the week. Rest. But rest is so much more than the absence of work. You can lie on a beach at Port Douglas and you can be about as restful as a dog with fleas. You know, out of sync with yourself and your spouse and, you know, what's around you in this world and God. Not at peace, not at ease. Real rest, real rest is to be reconciled to yourself, to the people around you and to God, ultimately. We are made to work, we're wired for rest. According to God, rest is being at peace with his son. It's the ultimate. You know, if you're hanging out for your long service or if you're hanging out for your superannuation to, you know, come of age someday, this is the ultimate on steroids of all that. A follower of Jesus can work because at the end of the day, they're invested in something much, much bigger, much, much more important and much, much more satisfying, the great work of Jesus. And they're prepared to talk about that to their workmates, even if it might get them into trouble or people might think they're weird, because at the end of the day, they know that that's what's indispensable to real life. Made for work, work's gone wrong, Christ's mighty work secures our rest. So, what sort of a rest is it? Well, to do that, you have to go to the book of Revelation. How does work fit into heaven? Now, this is an area where Christians diverge, and I, I know I'm getting into tricky territory here. What's the future of your work? Um, it's all about how much continues and how much stops between this present world and the future. We do know that Jesus talked about marriage. He said that marriage wasn't going to continue in heaven. It will be superseded. And given that Revelation describes heaven in certain ways, um, we would conclude that there is no more need for marriage celebrants or wedding planners in heaven, uh, doctors, because there will be no more, no more sickness, lawyers, and there'll be no more evangelists. To try and predict which elements will be consumed and which ones are going to still be there could occupy you until Jesus returns. And I suggest that isn't a good use of your time. But here are some deductions that I think you can make from some of the things in Revelation. The first one is from Revelation 22. 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Work is going to be fulfilling in heaven. Um, it appears that there is work to do when you get there. And for those of you who are sort of slightly worried that you're going to be sort of floating around in a disembodied state singing for eternity, <laughs> and it is good to sing, it is good to make music, but what it's saying here is that we actually will serve. We'll be doing things. Some of the work we do in this world will be incorporated into the next world. If you have a look at Revelation 21, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into heaven. So clearly things can get from this world into the next. Heaven is also a place of rest. Revelation 14, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord for they shall rest from their labours. And that word labours there is very important to understand because it's all the negative things about labour. It's the weariness, it's the fatigue, it's the struggle. In heaven, that tension between the deep work that absorbs you and that you love and that satisfies you and the work that wearies you to the bone, that will finally get resolved. Work is not the opposite of rest. Imagine all the things that you love about your work, the satisfaction, the sense of progress, the benefits that it brings to other people, but without the confusion, without the miscommunication, without the annoyance and the angst and the gremlins. That's what work is in heaven. The chorus in heaven will be, thank God it's Monday. <laughs> so you need to take a long haul view of human achievement as a Christian, if you're to understand work. Christians often make some of the best workers in this world. Do you know why? Because precisely they are not expecting and pumping it to give them everything that they need. And so they can sort of work without expecting it to deliver all the goods for them. Some Christians I meet in workplaces have a comprehensive, logical, well-thought-out, biblical view of why they're there. And my challenge to you today is, do you? Do you know why you're there, working? Do you share that with others? Because if there's one thing we all have in common as human beings, it's the frustration and the joy of work. Tell them why you're there. Share with them why they're finding work frustrating and how you deal with it. The unspoken fear, I think, lurking below the surface of most human beings is that they're working their butts off and pouring their sweat and time into something that's going to amount to nothing. The Christian doesn't think that. God's word offers an alternative where you can wedge your work to God. And it goes like this. Let nothing shift you. Always give yourselves fully to the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. 
I'll ask the band to come up and let's pray together. Father, please work on our view of work. Help us to see how it all fits together in your great plan from Genesis to Revelation. Help us this week to be people who understand what work's there for, how it's been disfigured along the way, why you came to restore us, and how we will work when we get to heaven. And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.